Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host, Eric Rieger. This is episode 93, and I'm joined by that guy, Dr. Kenneth Brown. But we have, once again, an awesome guest, Ken. What's going on? This is so exciting. We are completely honored to have Dr. Taylor Reyes. She is a doctor of physical therapy and a specialist in pelvic floor, although she does everything else. And if you're wondering if this is relevant to you, if you happen to be a human, then it is relevant to you. So this is very exciting. We're going to cover some really cool topics. So Dr. Reyes, Taylor, welcome. Thanks, guys, for having me. I'm really excited about this. Uh, Because like you said, most people don't realize they even have a pelvic floor. If you have a pelvis, you have a pelvic floor. So do we want to dive into the basic functions? Wow. We will get into that, but everybody has to realize how important you are first. Okay. So let me brag on Dr. Taylor Reyes. She is a doctor of physical therapy and is a certified functional manual therapist with subspecialty certification in pelvic floor dysfunction and owner of FIRE Physical Therapy, F-I-R-E. What does that stand for? Functional, intentional, restorative, and empowered. Nice. So, Taylor, after receiving her bachelor's degree in kinesiology, she went on to get her doctor of physical therapy at Hardin-Simmons University in 2014. She quickly adapted a functional, holistic approach to her practice and went on to become a certified in functional manual therapy, known as FMT. FMT is different in our world? It is. Do you, do you know what FMT stands for in our world? I'm not sure. Fecal microbial transplant. Different. It's very different. <laughs> so, uh, but, so she is certified in functional manual therapy, and this took place in 2017. Now, functional manual therapy is a philosophy of patient care founded on the recognition that all tissues of the body are intricately interconnected through mechanical, neuromuscular, and motor control systems. Functional medicine. That is our philosophy here also. So then in 2018, she completed advanced courses in physical therapy for obstetric patients, which has led her to become one of the premier pelvic floor specialists. We are thrilled to have you here because as it turns out, a lot of stuff in GI affects the pelvic floor and we're going to learn a ton from you. Yes. So uh, do, uh, do we want to start just with the fact that she is a pelvic floor expert, or do we want to do our traditional thing and find out who Taylor is first? Kind of excited to find out who Taylor is. So? Yeah. So, I'm me. Um, I am a local Texan. I went to Texas Women's University for undergrad in Hardin-Sibbins in Abilene, which is a great place to see sunsets and study. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I live in Farmers Branch, Texas. I'm married. I have a doll of a four-year-old daughter. She's great. She's hilarious. Um, and we, you know, we just like to be active, try to, you know, practice what we preach, 
be active, eat healthy, get rest. Um, we like to dance. We like to hike. We like to do all the things. Um, but for me in my practice, you know, functional, uh, the functional manual therapy, it really, um, how do I want to say this? It really changed the way I think about patient care and also what I want to present to people. So, you know, fire physical therapy, functional, intentional, restorative, empowered. I really try to bring that to every patient visit, right? Because if you're someone dealing with chronic pain, you've probably been through the ringer at some point. And a lot of times intention is what sets a visit apart from someone else, whether it's just someone listening to your story or um, being able to even hear what your proper goals are. So I try to, you know, be intentional with my family, my friendships, and my patients. Um, part of my business model involves that 10% of every first visit mm -hmm. goes towards a prosthetics clinic and wheelchair shop in Guatemala. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's something that I, when I was a student um, in PT school, I did a clinical and just happened to do some volunteer work with this of a company, Transitions Foundation. And one of the little boys, he had an accident. He was uh, had both of his legs amputated below the knees and had lost his arm. It was an electrical accident. And I just fell in love with him and their mission. And so I thought, how can I just continue to pour into that, even though I live here in the States? So that's something I'm super excited about. We're about to do our annual donation and we are close to, I want to say 1500 this year, $1,500. Nice. So that's going to buy either a few wheelchairs or maybe a couple legs. We'll see. That's great. Yeah. So that's kind of a little bit about me. Well, you, I think you actually covered quite a bit there, but let's say, let's just go back to the fact that you went to Hardin Simmons and then you ended up getting your, your doctorate there, correct? Yes. So not everybody who finishes a training in physical therapy is going to decide to branch off and specialize in a niche that involves the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So you described that you wanted to find a way to help people specifically. How were you able to ascertain and then identify that pelvic floor was where you wanted to not only discover a little bit more about your expertise and where you wanted to work, but I mean, it, you've really built an entire reputation on your expertise within that field. So how did you discover that? Yeah, sure. So I guess I had come up with a few professional goals going into physical therapy school, which was I wanted to do manual therapy. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I just did. And uh, medical missions or some form of service projects giving back and women's health. And so, you know, traditionally in women's health and physical therapy that, you know, involves, you know, the pelvic floor, like pelvic organ prolapse and stress urinary incontinence, uh, lymphedema, you know, those are kind of the main subjects that would be addressed, but quickly, especially once getting into that functional manual therapy program or, or training, I realized one, wow, the pelvis isn't just for women's health, right? It's, it really improves whether it's sports performance or back pain or anything. And so it kind of, I deviated from just women's health to going into more of the general pelvic health and just seeing how, you know, first off, the core is is made of the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, and the deep spine stabilizing muscles. So if you're leaving the pelvic floor off the table, you're leaving a lot of results off the table, right? Like who cares about their core function? 
Almost everyone. Everyone, yeah. right? So it's like, it's something that we at least, you know, maybe maybe not get in there and treat. You know, a lot of people think that it has to be an internal exam to evaluate the pelvic floor, and that's not true. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to go down that route, but it needs to be addressed and make sure that it's operating functionally. Let me stop you right there really quick. Just say again what the core consists of. Yeah, so we're looking at the diaphragm, the pelvic floor muscles, and the deep spine stabilizing muscles. So you know who was really big in the core, Dr. Emily Kyberg. Oh, yeah. And she is a physical therapist that is a, um, I don't know what her subspecialty is, but super smart in to this. And we were talking, she's a kettlebell expert, and we were discussing oh, yeah. lifting weights, and she was trying to get me to work my core where it was not getting my lower abdomen and she's the only person to ever say and your pelvic floor involved to stabilize when you're doing squats when mm -hmm. you're doing front sets and then the post you know basically the the posterior rectors where you're trying to get all that so you form a cage and that's what protects you from injury so if you work out if you're a guy and you work out what we're talking about here is also a way to prevent injury going forward, let alone just the other pelvic health things. She, and I was like, how do I do that? So anyways, when you said core, I was like, oh, yes. Yep. Literally, it is part of the core to stabilize the axial skeleton. Uh-huh. So if it has spinal connections, right? So the you know a lot of people think the rectus abdominis or like the six pack muscle is a core muscle it's not like it looks great and it has a purpose but it's not a spine stabilizing muscle or like your obliques or the erect uh, the paraspinal muscles it's more of the if we're getting into the anatomy and physiology like the multifidi the ones that segmentally attach to the vertebra or the rotatories or the quadratus lumborum or the transverse abdominis and those deeper ones yeah all the kind of stuff. So this this gets into that whole aspect of what you're talking about, the holistic approach. So it's it's almost impossible to sit there and address somebody's one unilateral situation without realizing that it's interconnected with everything. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. So now take us from the associations of all of those muscles back down to the pelvic floor. And then what percentage would you say is ignored when the pelvic floor is left out? Let's say that someone's only adhering to the spinal stabilizers sure. or the diaphragm and they're just doing breathing work or they're just only doing Wim Hof stuff, but they're kind of leaving out. Sure. Well, I, floor. at least a third, right? Okay. So sure. it, I mean, at least a third of it, but you know, a lot of the pelvic floor dysfunction, it maybe it doesn't actually originate in the pelvic floor itself, mm -hmm. but poor coordination between the diaphragm and the pelvic floor mm -hmm. or that dysenergy type of a connection. So, you know, it's like, sure, it could, it may just be a pelvic floor issue. Okay. So like, for example, if you're skiing and you just completely bust and land on your tailbone, like that's an acute injury. We know where your pelvic floor does, if you end up with tailbone pain. We know the pelvic floor dysfunction is coming from that scenario. It's kind of more of the chronic conditions or the people that get stuck in a rut. It's like, okay, let's kind of take a bird's eye approach to this, figure out, you know, what is the diaphragm doing with the pelvic floor? What are the deep spine stabilizing muscles doing with the pelvic floor? What is your nervous system doing and all of that? So acute stuff is typically pretty easy, especially, you know, like if a mom delivers a 10 pound baby vaginally, or, you know, somebody delivers a 10 pound baby vaginally and has a grade four tear, like that's pretty acute, you know, like that's local to the area. Versus, again, the, cro the chronic stuff. Like maybe you've been sitting in a chair f 
you know, for eight years and you have, you know, maybe not the most efficient posture. It doesn't serve you that well. And you kind of one day wake up with low back pain, but you don't know really where it came from. And, you know, you have a really stressful job and it all starts to build up and then you get inhibition of these core stabilizing muscles. I mean, it's this kind of beautifully not beautiful cascade of events that can create a dysfunction. Well, I love the way that you took it there, and can I kind of see you already itching? I, you, you went exactly. I've got so many rabbit yeah. holes that I could yeah. go down in that one sentence. Go on. There, no, I, I just like the fact that you just drew that full association. You went straight from yes, it's quite easy to identify that yes, it'd be one third, or you could have an acute injury. But what I heard you say is the relationship between the pelvic floor and virtually lots of health, comfort, performance is really going to take you to where if you're not examining your performance of your pelvic floor, then you're probably leaving out a foundation for happiness, wellness, your ability to sleep, probably your ability to heal. Even if you have an injury and you don't simply have a good pelvic floor tone, and and uh, I don't want to cut off Ken, but I'm, I would imagine at some point during our discussion today, we'll talk about tone and how to recognize when the pelvic floor is what needs to be addressed. But Ken, before you lose your train of thought. No, my train of thought was really simple. When you discussed the the core, I just had this light bulb that just went off in my head. When you said the diaphragm and the pelvic floor muscles, I started thinking about the breath work. So I try to, I'm new to breath work, trying to do this. And, you know, the last couple of years trying to do things like that. And then I realized when you're doing different things, um, even when I do yoga and things like that, you realize that different diaphragmatic movements actually do if you pay attention, affect some of your pelvic floor muscles that you can actually feel. Where if you're doing a sympathetic response with your diaphragm, things tighten up if you're parasympathetic there. So right now, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I don't know where they're going with this. Bottom line is what uh, Taylor is talking about. If you have any issues with, oh, I don't know, we can have urinary incontinence, we can talk about... Uh, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation in men, constipation in both. If there's any issues with painful sex, if there's any issues with prolapse, if there's any um, issues of uh, having uh, sympathetic overload, anxiety, the brain-gut connection through the diaphragm, now we can explain why all of this stuff is interconnected. And now I'm sitting here thinking about these people that tell me that they wake in the middle of the night with rectal pain called proctalgia fugax. And it's all tied together. So as a gastroenterologist, I'm honored to have somebody on here teaching me something. That's why I started lighting up or I was like, oh, that's where the breath work comes in. That's where the relaxation comes in. That's where this, so as a, I can't just say, take this laxative and thank you for coming you'll start pooping better when the reality is you don't know how to relax the muscles and possibly that is because you are stressing from an uh, from a higher core muscle from the brain to anus which as we're getting into this and I think this is going to be one of those episodes where we just go down scientific rabbit holes and I want to get right into it when I heard you give a lecture oh, which was phenomenal uh, let's discuss the embryologic Uh, origin of all this so that people understand that oh if i'm i'm discussing that the whole body is a whole body and when we talk about an embryo the development now you understand how things are just all tied together just stretched out Mm -hmm. real quick uh squatty potties do you recommend them or do you use one 
Well, okay. I hope this is not a setup because I do recommend them and I do use one. Okay, good. I was going to say. Oh my gosh. I thought she was going to be like, that causes cancer. No. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Wait, it, I totally no, thought it was a setup. I mean, it, it does. <laughs> oh. Just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, see, you bought that lead-lined one from Amazon. That one does cause cancer. <laughs> do not use a lead-based squatty potty. No, that's called shoddy potty. <laughs> <laughs> That just a quick little, like if someone is dealing with constipation, like squatty potties are really great. So, um, and bubble blowing, well, nobody should be Valsalva-ing, bearing well, down. Well, okay, hold on. First of all, explain why a squatty yeah. potty is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. And then get into the bubble blowing because I don't yes. have anybody doing that. Yes. But first, why is a squatty yes. potty good? Uh, so it re- it helps relax the pelvic floor muscles. So specifically the puborectalis. So when you're sitting at that 90 degree angle, like on a traditional toilet, um, it, it doesn't clamp off that puborectalis muscle acts as a sling. So it goes behind from the back part of the pubic bone around the rectum. It just doesn't create as much relaxation through the pelvic floor versus if you bring your knees above your hips, mm-hmm. it creates a, a bigger opening. You, you don't have as much to fight against, um, especially if you are constipated. So the constipation may be because of your diet or it could be because of the tight muscles, right? It could come from a lot of different things. So, um, you know, you're, you're putting less stress on your pelvic floor. So someone with a pelvic organ prolapse or maybe hemorrhoids or things like that, um, or if you just have chronic constipation. Um, so not to interrupt you, but I want to clarify that because this is an issue that I have with my patients. When somebody comes in and they complain of constipation, I, I disassociate slow transit versus complete evacuation. So if you have constipation, and you have an urge to go and you go, but you don't feel completely empty, that's the stuff we're talking about right here. That, yep, that can be constipation. A lot of people think that if you have to bear down mm-hmm. when you're pooping, that that means you're constipated and not, well, yes, it does, or you're not doing it right. I say that loosely, uh, but also the, the quality of your stool, right? So there's the Bristol stool chart, which I'm sure you're familiar with. So ideally you want your poo to be closer to like soft serve or a little firmer. So I'll talk with patients. It's like, okay, do you poop soft serve or do you poop candy bars or do you poop pebbles? You know, Mm. or is it like complete diarrhea? Right. So, you know, even if it comes out easy, even if you're regular, you know, air quotes regular, um, if you're pooping out pebbles like that, you're still constipated. Right. And so that could be a pelvic floor tightness issue or it could be a dietary issue. A lot of times we want to add more fiber to that, but, um, but not to get too off track. Uh, I, I, think, I don't think any of this is off track at all. Track. And then yeah. another thing just to add to the squatty potty, um, the, I love the fact that you articulated the knees above the hips because yeah. essentially it's taking you back to a more primitive form of yes. how man or mammals poop. They basically used to squat to defecate you can see your dogs do it cats do it mm-hmm. we've migrated to toilets and it's just not in an advantageous angle or a setting or whatnot to do it that way so one of my biggest pet peeves is that if you look at like nursing homes they will purposely make toilets very high yeah, it's terrible idea. in the idea that they can get up and down easier and all it does is just contribute to a horrible constipated older person. Not only that, but to add on to what you said, that particular lack of raising of the legs will force them to have to contract more, which then will cause, unfortunately, a stronger vagal response as they're trying to crap. And that's where the issues of heart issues come from with cardiac patients sitting on a toilet where they're not doing it the right way. 
Ken is looking at me because he's thinking of something and his... So many things jokes. are going through my head, which are inappropriate jokes, and yeah. I'm just going, we have a new guest, I'll just, just, know I'll that, just tone it down. Just know that Ken had a joke, and then he hopped to another joke, and he didn't tell any of them because Taylor's sitting right here. I like jokes. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> So, so, yeah. Well, so if you do find yourself having to bear down <laughs> of, to some degree, think blowing bubbles. Yes. Right? What is this? Yeah. So instead of like, you know, getting all scrunchy and holding your breath. In which Eric just described a code blue happening on a toilet. <laughs> which does happen. Which happens a lot. In the, a, yeah, lot a lot, actually. Yeah. Unfortunately. So think about keeping your glottis open. Okay. Okay. Right. So, and, and this is a technique that I also, t I teach a childbirth class also. And so when we're talking about push techniques and how to protect your pelvic floor, it's like you do want to create a downward pressure to get the baby out, but you also don't want to Valsalva because it has, it has its own negative or potentially oh. negative consequences, right? I'm, okay. We could, we could go down a rabbit hole there. At the end of the day, we want the baby out. So sometimes if you do have to hold your breath because you've been pushing for 17 hours and there's nothing else that's working fine, hold your breath. But in a way to protect your pelvic floor efficiently, we don't want a breath hold. So that whole business of the holding your breath and bearing down for 10 seconds, lies. Don't do it. So there's other ways. There's other ways. But so anyway, getting back to it, if you think about blowing bubbles, right? If you blow too hard and too fast, the bubble's going to pop and it's not going to, uh -huh. you know, float away. So increasing pressure, with, but without making it sustained behind mm -hmm. the glottis. Without a glottis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes sense though, because you're, it's mild, it's like, it's like, it's like moderated Valsalva without yeah. going full on full vagal nerve distribution and, and expression. So yeah, kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. huh. It's like, it's like metering the vagus nerve. Yeah. It's kind of cool. And you know what, real quick, just for anybody listening that doesn't know what the pelvic floor is. Cause I don't know that I actually said that yeah, besides that everybody done. has <laughs> it. <laughs> you know. We're going to be rabbits like seven hours later. And it's like the other thing about Ukraine. Was <laughs> How'd this podcast go there? Just, I mean, really quick. It's just a, a like a sling of muscles that sits um, in the lower part of your pelvis. So it connects to the sacrum, tailbone, uh, sit bones, um, pubic bone. And it's responsible for sex, urination, defecation, um, uh, childbirth, and I think that was it. Yeah. Hemorrhoids. That's pretty important to my practice. So it's yeah, it's responsible for hemorrhoids well, developing. They, they occur in the pelvic floor. Yes, they yes. occur in that area. So, so you know, I'm, I, suddenly I just saw you like like making all my hemorrhoid business go away by teaching people how to Vasalva with no. blowing bubbles. And I was like, <laughs> no. like, like, why are you working at Starbucks? I'm like, man, I had this Taylor Reyes on my podcast. She taught everybody how to get rid of their hemorrhoids. No. There, like, practice still, dried up. There's still the American diet. So you have that. And that's your job security. Well, we talked, we, uh, Kent had hinted about uh, the embryo and how we all begin to start there and the expansion. So do we want to start describing the pelvic floor and how it's related mm -hmm. to that, that, that outward growth? Yeah. So um, on that thread, you know, there's, that presentation was about how the pelvic floor and the TMJ, the mm -hmm. temporomandibular joint, or, you know, the, the cranium is connected. Mm -hmm. And one of those is an embryological connection. So between that day, like 15, 20 is when the depressions of the mouth and the pelvic uh, organs start to form. And so they form, and then as that embryo grows, they do stay connected through that entire formation. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at things embryologically, you know, it's like, okay, you have that 
you know, head and hip connection, which I mean, even in rehab, they teach you, it's like where the head goes, the pelvis goes, that's completely off topic, but it's, it's one of those things that you can see that connection throughout functionally as well. Um, so, you know, we have the embryological connection and then that kind of feeds into the autonomic nervous system connection that we have from the, um, you know, how your nervous system affects the pelvic floor. So, mm-hmm. Uh, autonomic nervous system would be sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic. So your um, fight or flight and your rest and digest, right? So we need both at all times, right? Because if, if you're, we, but we want a good balance. So sometimes you need more sympathetic. Sometimes you need more fight or flight, depending on what activity you're doing. And then sometimes you need more parasympathetic, depending on what your activity you're doing, like eating or sleeping or just trying to chill out, right? Give your body a time to rest and heal. Uh, so, you know, if we get dysfunction in that, autonomic dysfunction or dysautonomia, or we have too much vagal, uh, uh, vagus nerve tone, you know, that can impact how the pelvic floor functions as well. And then we have a fascial connection. Um, and then we have a dural connection too. So I'm not sure how much we want to get into that, but we want to get into that dural because most people don't know what the dura is. Mm -hmm. So dura, we think about the connective tissue that goes over the, um, the whole nervous system. So I really like this example. There was a uh, Rufus Weaver was a scientist way back when who um, supposedly received consent to uh, when his housekeeper passed away to dissect. He was able to dissect her nervous system out from the rest of her body. Um, Harriet Cole, I believe was her name. It's really cool. If you Google Rufus Weaver uh, nervous system dissection, you'll see a really cool picture. It looks like an alien and it's really exciting. Um, But anyway, that connective tissue that goes from the brain and then down through the rest of the nervous system is the dural tissue. So uh, we look at it kind of, it's not the same as fascia, but when you're looking from a manual therapy perspective and you're looking at connections, we want to address it the same way as we would fascia. Mm -hmm. No, it's completely connected. So the, the connection goes from, you know, we think about the brain and we think about the cranial bones. So there's specifically a cranial bone in the, um, in that area called the sphenoid mm-hmm. and the hooks of it. So if you run your tongue along the roof of your mouth back to either corner, you'll feel like a little nub. Those are the, the pterygoid processes. So that has dural connection and that actually runs that same connection runs all the way down to the, uh, phylum terminalis, which is in the tailbone the coccyx right which is a pelvic floor structure nice so so that that connection basically it's no different than whatever ken you're referencing the gut brain axis uh these connections i think not only is it a structural expansion from the embryo itself but there's there's lots of function on on the reason why certain things remain connected throughout the rest of our lives the, the fact that the head and i love the fact you picked it up the head and the pelvis need to be in sync with each other. It's it's how we're mobile. It's how our brains are able to rationalize spatiality and how we know where we are, when we are, when you're an athlete and you're running on the field. And it's funny because like when when I was playing football, they would always teach us that look at the runner's hips because they will try to head fake you. And even though you still need to see where you're going, they could always do this, but you couldn't ever outrun where your body was from your hips itself. So I, that that example was great. But uh, there's there's lots of other examples of nerve fibers originating like that and, and are permanently tied together. So you referenced TMJ and then the pelvic floor itself. What was the example that you were articulating in, uh, in, in one of those lectures where you were talking about TMJ and the improvement of the pelvic floor uh, performance? Um, so 
with the example, you mean why we were talking about it? Yes. Or? Well, I think that very specifically you gave a patient example where you were working on their TMJ issue. Right. Okay. So, yeah, the one, the example I gave in that presentation, because mm-hmm. that's just one of them, um, and I actually learned of another one today, which is really cool, and I got permission to share it. But the one we're talking about right now, um, uh, the patient example was that she was, you know, in her 20s, so she didn't, ha- at the time, she had not had any children mm-hmm. yet, um, and she was re- referred to me for, for tailbone pain. And when we dug into her history, because history is important, you got to listen to all the variables so that you don't waste somebody's time. Um, you know, she didn't actually have any pelvic floor symptoms besides tailbone pain, you know, when we really dug into it. Um, but what was very prevalent in her history and what coincided with the onset of her symptoms was a car accident where she had whiplash, mm. you know, so it's like, okay, so what makes the most sense here? And, you know, when an analogy is if you step on a cat's tail, where does the noise come out? Right? <laughs> yeah. Like it's not always right there. So um, we did, we first started at the head and did a screen to look at, um, you know, how her cranial bones were moving and what her sphenoid was doing. And so, you know, and she was able to, rec- you know, she had the pain right then and there in the session, right? She could rate it. If she sat on her tailbone, it was, you know, what, like a seven out of 10. Um, if she was standing, it was a three out of a 10. So we just treated the sphenoid. That's it. We didn't touch her tailbone. We didn't do any of that. We just stayed in the cranium and we got it to a zero of 10 in that one visit, right? And it it just goes to show how globally the whole system is connected. And I think that's also, you know, when I was giving that presentation, it was to other practitioners who do body work Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I think it's also just very important to really appreciate the, the beauty of design and the connection, but also to, it's like, okay, well, what makes the most sense? Not just because you have a tailbone injury doesn't mean that the root issue is going to be up in the cranium, right? Like we just want to consider all the variables when we're trying to find the best plan of care for the patient. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the other really cool thing that I've actually done to a couple of people, including the owner of this studio is the tongue thing. Oh yeah. And huge difference because when we initially started, she has severe neck issues uh-huh. and did the little tongue trick that you did. Oh, yes. And all of a sudden she's like, no way, no way. No, this is voodoo. <laughs> Explain <laughs> so what that fun. is. Yes. Yeah, so the, the tongue ABCs, it's a really fun exercise. Did you do it? I did. Yeah. So, um, and this is something I learned from Brad Gilden. He's a physical therapist up in um, uh, Manhattan. Um, he's kind of paving the way for physical therapists everywhere in this orofacial myofunctional therapy um, so it's a, it's a fascial stretch for the tongue. So, you know, the fascia of the tongue runs all the way down to the toes. Mm-hmm. If you look at a diagram, this is a great time to Google, um, just, you know, fascia of the tongue and you'll see this example. Uh, but all you do is you take like a paper towel because you don't, if you use your hands, you'll slip off your tongue or a Kleenex will be too, um, it'll disintegrate. So you just pull your tongue out and then you say the ABCs and it sounds great and it sounds silly. And then you check your range of motion in your neck. And then you can pull your tongue out to the left and do the same thing. Say the ABCs and then do it to the right. And with my patients who are, uh, this is a really big variable for their plan of care, we try to make it a little bit more functional. So if they're always stuck looking right, I have them turn their head all the way to the right and then, you know, pull their tongue out and do the ABCs or we try to fine tune it a little bit like that. But it's really fun. It's a great party trick. You should show it to everybody this holiday. Well, I was actually shocked at how effective it was. I thought it was um, because I don't have neck pain, so I'm okay. And then she did. And I was like, hey, I just saw this lecture. This person's coming on the podcast. Check this out. And whoa, what? 
Yeah. Yeah. It looked, it seemed like it was voodoo. Well, and just to articulate what Taylor's describing is she had the lecture that I saw, she had the entire, and it was other practitioners you were teaching this to, correct? She had the entire audience that she was teaching this technique to, to do this exercise. And they're all reciting the ABCs while holding their tongues. And then after each one of those three intervals that you just described, you had everyone checking their range of motion. And, and successively, it seemed like that the, audience was in agreement that they were gaining some element of, of range of motion just from doing a rather simple exercise that took less than three minutes to do the whole thing. So uh, I want to hear about your second patient, but I want to give an example of what opened my eyes a little bit to how devastating the pelvic floor issues can be. Because of COVID, a lot of people have been spending a lot more time sitting down in front of a computer. And I've started to have some patients that have come in with very you know, second, third opinions with some unique uh, perianal pain. And it just recently occurred to me that they've been treated for fissures, they've been treated for hemorrhoids, they've gone to their primary doctors, they've gone to gastroenterologists, they've had procedures. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what is, uh, you know, what is the sensation? It's burning. It's burning in this distribution and it hurts more and I've become constipated and then you start doing what you're talking about. What has changed in your life? What's going on? It's long hours of sitting. My, I work from home now. I do this and that. And I actually worked with a pelvic floor specialist here in Plano and we realized, oh my gosh, this is pudendal nerve entrapment. Basically mm -hmm. a nerve is entrapped because one of the pelvic floor muscles has become tight because it's um, in a position that somehow some asymmetry happened that that's going on. So now we're like trying to address that. It's like, oh my gosh, after all this, it's not the typical stuff that I see, fissures, abscess, hemorrhoids. Sure. And it took there. And then that's why it really opened my eyes. I'm like, I'm not utilizing pelvic floor medicine enough with my patients. And as you're describing the interconnection of everything, let alone you know, we talk about irritable bowel and SIBO and bloating. Uh, gastrointestinal inflammation leads to systemic inflammation. All of that leads to potentially subconscious tightening of muscles, like in this particular case, mm -hmm. a muscle that uh, is not under conscious control that is tightening, trapping a nerve, creating this severe pain. Right. There's a lot to it. So tell me about your, that's, that's my recent I need to learn more about this, which is why I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Tell me about the recent patient you had. Sure. Yeah. Well, and actually she's a, a colleague and she was sharing her story with me today. Um, you know, I'd love to take credit for her pain relief, but I can't um, because I didn't do it. But she has a history of vulvodynia. So like pain um, in the vulva region, pain with penetration. So the superficial dyspareunia, which dyspareunia is the medical word for pain with um penetrative intercourse, vaginal intercourse. Uh, so anyway, she's had this pain for a very long time, um, over 10 years. And she's even to the point where she had Botox um, in her pelvic floor muscles. She's had acupuncture in the vulva, which is, you know, that's a, that's a lot of dedication there. Um, she's tried everything, didn't really, has not really had much success, kind of beat her head. She's had a kid, you know. Um, Anyway, she had a, an adult tongue tie release done a couple weeks ago. Oh. So, yeah. And guess what went away? All oh, of that? All of, wow. All of that pain. Really? All of that pain. Yep. Her forward, for, forward head posture changed like in an instant. 
and her vulvodynia pain. So when you say tongue tie release, you mean the little thing? So the labial tongue. Oh, labial. So, oh, okay. um, yeah. So right, like, so hers was deeper. So they had to do like the deep genioglossus area. So that kind of curtain that sits in front of the genioglossus. So the tongue muscle. Oh, okay. Basically. They had to, you know, they cut through that curtain, so to speak, and do a release. And it's like a um, d- different uh, <laughs> practitioners use different techniques. I, so. just, I have a, a great ear, nose, and throat doctor that we're going to have on the show uh-huh. fairly soon. His name is Dr. Keith Metheny. He's a baller. He's entrepreneur. He's so cool. He's going to wonder why I'm sending people to him with dyspareunia. It's like, he's an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I'm like, I'm sending somebody with uh, dyspareunia to you. Yeah, you need to fix her tongue. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, and you know, that was one of those, like she was not anticipating that change, obviously, but you never, until you don't try it. But here's the thing is, um, you know, I do some of the orofacial myofunctional therapy, mm-hmm. which is, you know, if you're going to have, like say an adult is going to go through an expansion process for their jaw, whether they're trying to help obstructive sleep apnea or upper airway oh. restrictive syndrome, um, you know, yeah, you can expand the hard palate all day, but if you're not retraining the tongue uh-huh. and the throat, like your posture and your, your muscles, the motor control, neuromuscular control, it's not really gonna help that much. Like you'll get some improvement, but you're leaving a lot of results on the table. So, you know, I had one patient maybe a year ago or so who she was just kind of beating her head. Like she needed expansion. She needs the tongue tie release. Um, and you know, some, some of these guys are doing tongue tie releases to help orthopedic issues, Uh uh, like low back pain. And it's like, well, what, wait, this is amazing. Wait, this is like other people know about this. Yeah. First time I've ever Me heard about this. Too. You mean that there's like ear, nose, and throat doctors doing this, ENTs doing this? I, you know, I know there are some, I know some of them are ENTs. I'm not sure off the top of my head if the ones locally are ENTs. Um, I would just but you assume that would be the person up, doing the look surgery. Look up the breath. I, I guess it would be. Because I mean, it's a collaborative process. That's amazing so that they I, would be open yeah. to that for distal pain. Yes. Yes. I'm Now I'm starting to think like, are dentists doing it too, or oh, am I you just know making what? this up? You could probably oral maxillofacial surgeons probably yeah. do it also. Yeah, I was like, yes. there's yes, yeah, you're right. so not just yeah. ENTs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Regardless, yeah. that is an amazing connection. Uh, it's, it, it's fascinating. The same joke applies. I mean, I've got we on <laughs> on the on the one episode. I, dude, I'm such an idiot. I'm, <laughs> that's all he wants is new jokes. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I send. Somebody with those issues to the guy that, you know, I mean, Dr. Montgomery, I passed out in my steam room doing Wim Hof breathing and broke my tooth in half just a few weeks ago. And it was, we talked about it on the show, (laughs) but now I'm going to send him. It's the same thing. It's the equivalent of sending to Dr. Metheny, you know, it's Dr. Montgomery that's, that would be like, why is Brown sending me people with back pain? You know, (laughs) anyways, it's, it's, no, but it's a fascinating connection though. And that, that, I, I love the fact that, you're, I mean, seriously, you're art, you're articulating that that your, I don't know, your associated pain could be something so simple, and could be something that you the rest of your body is signaling something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. Yet, what you're doing is you're dialing in and finding where that location is, and the rest of the body can essentially heal yeah. and not be in pain. So nuts. Yeah, it, and it's really cool. And you know, it's kind of like I said before, going back to the Occam's. Ra- razor, Occam's, Occam's razor, razor. razor. Um, I always try to say razor. I don't know why it sound fancy, I guess, but um, <laughs> it's like, sure. You know, it's like the, these connections are really cool. And a lot of it comes from like deep diving into history and like really trying to fine tune and be attentional about why I'm putting my hands on somebody. But, you know, again, back pain can just be back pain, right? Like it can be a local 
source of like maybe you have some tightness in like your quadratus lumborum, you know, the hip hiker and spine stabilizing muscle. So yes, you know, you sure send all the low back patients to your guy, but you know, sometimes it is just local. And I just want to reiterate that because, you know, I'll, I'll educate people about this and then they're, they're looking for somebody to do, you know, whether it's a tongue tie release or, you know, when we talk about improving pelvic floor function mm-hmm. to improve like vice versa, jaw pain or, you know, whatever, then they, they start seeking out the wrong person to help them with their issues. So start first with, if it's an orthopedic pain issue, start first with the physical therapist, the, you know, a holistic therapist, and then figure out where you're going to go. Sure. Right. Um, in case anybody's out there like trying to figure out how to get their tongue tie released right now. And maybe it's not appropriate for them, you know? No, Uh, I think it's, I think it's amazing though, because your whole functional approach is sorely needed in allopathic medicine. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, the, uh, the dictum of all you have is a hammer, then everything is a nail. So when you go see somebody, which is why, it took forever to figure out its pudendal nerve entrapment. And even it took me forever to figure this out because it's like, well, all the normal stuff isn't there. And now you really got me quite honestly excited to start exploring these other aspects and using functional, your style of functional physical therapy to help my gastrointestinal patients. Yeah. This is like a new, a new tool suddenly sure. that I'm, I'm thrilled. It, you know, it's taken this long to find it, but that's awesome. I, I, I really love this way of practicing um, because, you know, I have my foot, like one foot in like Western medicine, allopathic medicine, and, and the other foot in alternative medicine, holistic medicine. And I think that, you know, for most people, you need a, a balance of both. Sometimes, you know, somebody needs to be completely allopathic. Like if you have an infection, you have an infection right now. I mean, we could go so far down that road. I'm starting to learn how to treat different like with my daughter trying to treat stuff holistically so that she's not on antibiotics all the time. Mm -hmm. And I've been really surprised when instead of like, you know, everybody do what they feel comfortable with. So I'm not trying to impose this on anybody, but like, you know, if she had a UTI, instead of giving her Augmentin a third time, like try the D-Manos, Usa Irvi, olive leaf extract, like every four hours. And guess what? Like even with a positive culture for a UTI, we were able to fix it and get a negative culture in a week, right? And I think that's huge. Like, that's kind of mind blowing. Like you wouldn't like, how do you take that to a pediatrician and say like, this worked, right? When they know what they know is statistics and peer reviews. And I think that's very valuable. Um, but we also don't need like a peer reviewed study to say that, you know, the, the, the femur articulates with the tibia. You know what I mean? Like there's, the, there's that concept of common sense and just using what's around you. Do you. I'm not trying to ramble, but no, 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 no. I love the ramble because we discuss protecting the microbiome all the time. In fact, that's what this bracelet says. It's what would your microbiome say? So what would your microbiome say? Meaning that when you take antibiotics, you disrupt it. But just like you're saying, antibiotics are completely life-saving and in defense of, and I feel like I try to play that role. Also bridge the gap between the two traditional medicine and natural solutions in defense of the allopathic doctor that sees a young child that has a UTI, the idea is if this gets out of control, it can become a situation where there is sepsis. And right. so this becomes a systemic infection. And now we're discussing. So, you know, if um, when you're looking at something like this, if you have experience with it, if somebody's had multiple UTIs, but 
even now, if I saw somebody with diverticulitis, let's just use one of the diseases in my field, diverticulitis, I would be uncomfortable using uh, essentially natural antibiotics because if it gets bad, it gets bad quick. So it's kind of a hard thing, but it does take a very mindful person that is the mom watching saying, I'm willing to accept some of this risk. I promise I'll bring her back. So what we're saying is don't ignore what your doctors are doing, but if you're willing to do the research and look at this, then maybe, you know, situations like this slowly roll over into a different style of medicine. Right. And that's why I felt, and I guess I want to clarify, I'm not, you know, a negligent mom, but I felt really comfortable because I was, you know, we were reevaluating her cultures and I was working directly with a naturopath. I wasn't just Googling like, you know, how to. Well, I think you said it best rather than the third round of augmenting. Yes. I mean, you, you, you nailed it right there. It's like, why clearly the first two, which I'm already scared of. Yeah. Let's try something a little bit different, but it would, it would need something to be logically discussed, monitored very carefully and all that. Much like a band, much like the uh, therapeutic zone within any particular drug, there's also the therapeutic zone of using something that is allopathic. I actually like your approach. I think that's uh, smart. You do preserve the microbiome, but the truth is, is you're probably diligent enough that compliance is also not going to be an issue with you. In order to keep up with something like that, that's an alternative. The reason why an allopathic traditional medicine doctor is going to rely upon an antibiotic in those particular instances is because compliance is always going to be an issue. They tell you 10 days of an antibiotic with the hopes that you are in the 60% that will still take almost 70% of the regimen that they prescribe to you. That's just how those numbers work. That's, I mean, almost no one makes it all 10. Yeah. And that, that therapeutic window is a calculation on how well that drug's going to work. So the truth is, is you're just far, you're just far more educated in what the regimen means to getting over that and until people decide to be compliant in everything, it's going to be difficult for them to adopt that. It just is. Right. But I would, I would totally support that. That would be f- a much better approach. And uh, yeah, and as we get more and more, we're, we're really excited because um, we, you know, we, Eric and I are involved in a company that developed a natural product to help with the irritable bowel and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, without any of our funding and without even giving product, Northwestern University did a study and just recently published that, uh, yeah, all on their own, Whoa. which like one of the most, like one of the most premier institutions regarding function, uh, regarding functional bowel disease, meaning not functional medicine, but regarding um, the leader in irritable bowel syndrome. They decided on their own to study us and we did that or they did that and they published it and it's super cool because what that shows is this little beacon of light where a prestigious organization is looking at natural solutions for stuff. So cool. It's huge. It's absolutely massive that they... They spent their own money doing it. They went ahead and did that. And I think that that is tip of the iceberg, and it's going to get really exciting. Yeah, it's really cool. Fist bumps all around. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm excited. But that's why I love hearing you articulate why you took a different approach than what most would consider doing. And the fact is that you saw it through. And it just takes that level of dedication to do that because Autrontil is not going to work for somebody who just casually takes it if they have a chronic bloating issue. It won't. Yeah. So, uh, well, hey, I, something else I want to kind of get into, because I feel like that up until now, we've articulated a lot about the association of the pelvic floor to a bunch of different uh, things that somebody else may recognize. And I think that we could probably do that for days. Oh, sure. How would someone uh, recognize, number one, that 
I need to find someone who has pelvic floor expertise. And number two, what is kind of the breakdown of the of the percentage of patients from dyspronia to whatever it happens to be? Like who who makes up most of the people that Taylor sees in the practice for this? Yeah. So the people who end up getting referred you know, it it typically ends up being someone with stress urinary incontinence or even fecal incontinence Mm -hmm. um, or urge incontinence. There's different types of urinary incontinence. Like sometimes you just have, you have the urge to go a lot, but uh, maybe you're just getting trickles out. Or if you jump, cough, laugh, or sneeze, you pee yourself, which is not normal. Despite what grandma said, it's not normal. You know, like it's common, but not normal. Um, you know, pelvic pain, pain with intercourse, whether it's just like, or pain with any vaginal penetration, like a speculum, if you're at the OBGYN's office or a tampon, um, or if it's with penetrative intercourse and you feel like your guts are getting stabbed. Um, if you, you know, if you're, um, uh, if you have erectile dysfunction or painful ejaculation or painful orgasms, or you feel like it, it's like, okay, but not as good as it could be, you know, and sometimes a lot of this can be multifactorial, right? Okay. Um, especially when we get more into the sexual health, um, and function. Um, if you look more into like sports performance, if you're someone who thinks like, wow, I, I've been doing squats for like 50 days now and my glutes are still nowhere to be seen. Um, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that can be a sign that you have pelvic floor dysfunction. Oh, stop for a moment. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. How? If you want booty gains, see a pelvic floor therapist. Okay. Get it? Because that suddenly opens up a whole new realm. I mean, that's a really good t-shirt. That's if a you want really booty good. gains, see a pelvic floor specialist. That's a great t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, get into that real quick. What are you talking about? Because that's something that I'm literally drawing a blank here. Right. So, As somebody who did squats this morning. Mm-hmm. So the, the easiest connection to think about is how glutes, where do glutes attach? They come into sacrum and coccyx. Mm-hmm. Those are two pelvic floor structures. So we can be talking about a sacral function issue, like how is your sacrum moving along with the the pelvic bones? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it one of those things through that connection? Is it more of a, so you think about obturator internus, like the deep hip muscles, like what's going on with those? Those are pelvic floor muscles. You know, there's this concept of kegels, um, kegel, kegels, tomato, tomato, the guy who Keep coined going. the term. I'm looking at, at, at my anatomy Kegel. pitch right now because I figured if she would start geeking out like this, I wanted to follow. No. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, All right. So, Don't. and those are superficial muscles on that picture. So, I'm I sorry. I have superficial and deep. Okay, well. So I've got two layers. Um, so, anyway, so really it goes into how the hip is functioning with the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Like, are your muscles weak? Are they overactive? Are they both what's going on. Are you overcompensating? So really when you have that lack of booty gain comes from a, like a compensation issue where you're using, like you're losing, using more of those global muscles, like too much of your back, too much of your quads, too much of your hamstrings. And so it's about fine tuning, like what is your movement pattern? What is your strategy? So when you, so let me ask you this, mm-hmm. not to interrupt, I'm sorry, but conceivably if you are working out inappropriately or possibly you have a neurogenic compensation issue can you be can by working out can i adversely affect my pelvic floor muscles and create pelvic floor dysfunction while weightlifting yes oh and i'm gonna so that there's a lot to unpack there so no i'm okay weightlifting is great like i think one of the best things that you can do for your bone health muscle health pelvic floor 
pelvic floor health, all of the above is, mm-hmm. is strength train. Mm-hmm. Like that's so important, uh, but doing it inefficiently and where you're not using correct intra-abdominal pressure, which is where we go back to the diaphragm coordination, coordinating with the pelvis is really important. So, um, if I think that one of the best examples, there's there can be these trending videos, especially on social media, where someone is lifting really heavy in CrossFit and they're doing a PR, but they pee themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like that's not that's not a sign. That's a sign of dysfunction. Like in my in my eyes, that should be considered a scratch. Like if you're peeing yourself, like that should that shouldn't be a complete lift. That should be a scratch because, but uh, that's from the physical therapist perspective, right? Like I don't want to discredit. Because people can throw, obviously I am not one that's throwing up a ton of weight, clearly, even though I got small guns, that's, that's neither here nor there, Uh, but you, do you get what I'm saying? Like you, you tracking with me? <laughs> she didn't, she's not really getting into it. She's like, as far as I'm concerned, that was a scratch. If I was a judge, that would be dis. Nope. No rep. You yeah. pissed yourself. Yeah. Get some new shorts, bro. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I like that. So many people, like so many gals wear, and you just don't hear it as much in the male population. Um, they wear uh, black shorts. So that you don't so see that, it. Yeah. And they'll, oh. it's like, they talk about, it's like, I'm going to go empty my bladder 16 times before my workout so that they don't, and they still end up at least dribbling. Hmm. And that's not, that's a sign that, that there's your sign. Right. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> so. I've had a couple, they were both female. I'm sure it happens to men as well, but I've had a couple female patients that were fitness competitors that ended up with an acute rectal prolapse, like having to be. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, during during workouts and so yeah yeah that oh my gosh i i feel like i'm one of these i feel shitty that i have not incorporated the pelvic floor more into my overall digestive care model like i'm feeling a little like damn it like why didn't i think about this you don't know what you don't know right like and now you know i'm learning now you know slowly yeah. Yeah. No, some, you got to start somewhere, right? I mean, there, there's. You, I'm going to have to come and shadow you for a bit. Or I'm going to be trying to have somebody pulling their tongue out, doing the ABCs while I'm doing a <laughs> rectal. They're like, what is going on here? Um, but oh, also um, not being able to hold in gas. Like if you let toots squeak out a lot, not on purpose, that can be a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction. Or, you know, that's typically the complaint you get more with guys in the gym that have pelvic floor dysfunction, not so much of incontinence, but they like fart a lot while they're lifting. Yeah. Which is. Because that's a pressure management issue. Super common. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Super common. Huh. Have you not like, well, you don't, I work out at 5 a.m. You just walk around just and you're just like, whoa. Little waft of something right there. I'm gonna keep walking. I guess I I won't do. I won't do that exercise right now. I'll come back when that guy's gone. Well, intentional, intentional toots versus unintentional. I don't think. Well, I would hope to think that nobody's intentionally (laughs) dropping those (laughs) bombs. Weird thing to do. (laughs) No. Yeah. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked. 